0: podcast i'm here with sean madden elevation striking coach what's up sean
1: what's happening guys i got some new podcast equipment here i sound exactly the same as before but i spent a lot more yeah money, you're just
0: so. you're just broke now
1: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i sound mediocre so i got that going for me <laughs> uh so yeah so we
0: we watched a pretty wild night of fights last night i'm not even sure what the event was called ufc hooker poirier but it was it was an awesome night of fights so uh Let's just jump right into it. So the main event was kind of the the fight that everyone was looking looking forward to. It was uh it was uh you know I, I, I would say on paper an underwhelming main card with the with the main event that that people were like oh my god this is like a an amazing fight and somehow it exceeded expectations. So I'll let you kind of take it off. Like what what are some uh, what are some general thoughts that you you uh, are, are taking away the next day.
1: Uh, yeah, so your main event was fantastic. You know, we saw a former interim champ with Dustin versus Dan, who we've known for a long time. You know, uh, a lot of people don't know that Dan trained with Elevation Fight Team for, I believe, two fight camps. Uh, maybe I think it was two, right? Yeah, I think two. Do you remember? He
0: was here, yeah, for about a year. you know, so he probably fought twice in that
1: time. Yeah, yep, yeah. so he spent some time with us, you know, so we've known about him, um, for a while. And now he's kind of rising in the ranks with that lightweight division. So yeah, man, exciting fight another five round war. Both of those guys uh, have a ton of heart. Um, You know, we saw Dan come out strong in the early rounds and use his length to his advantage. And then the later rounds, we saw him fade a little bit and Dustin really come on strong. Um, You know, I I was rewatching some of the fight earlier today and watching those first two rounds and, Something that I thought Dan did really well, and especially it's a great option for any taller fighter is you fight in the middle of the cage where you can really dictate that space, and you don't have anything behind you to, to to stop you like the cage. Um, Especially in that first round, I thought Dan did an excellent job of that, keeping Dustin at his range and and kind of picking at him from there. Um, One of the things that I talked about before the fight happened was I was I thought that one trouble area that Dan could get into was trading in the pocket with dustin and we saw as the fight wore on um and dan got started to get a little bit more tired he was a little bit more content to stand in that pocket and trade and i thought he got the worst of some of those exchanges um just dustin does so well in there um you know so yeah that's that's kind of what i thought
0: yeah it was uh the the first i mean it was it was a crazy pace so it's like You know, I think it speaks to both their mental toughness and and just the shows their work ethic in training camp that they came in. And and that's an insane pace regardless. But to be able to, you know, the fact that they held it up over five rounds uh, is is pretty wild. But I I agree that uh, Dan definitely slowed down, especially like even after the first two rounds. He had that really strong surge at the end of the second round. Um, But when I watched it again, one of the things that he seemed to have a ton of success with early on was he kept kicking that inside calf of Dustin, which, you know, aside the damage itself, but also just continuously like kind of knocking him off balance with it and not allowing him to to really have a stable base to to charge forward with his own strikes. And then once the third round happened, I noticed that the, the volume of those leg kicks really dropped dramatically and that's when he shifted more towards like a wrestling based style because he just didn't seem to have the same pop in his in his punches the kicks kind of dropped off quite a bit and then the in and out movement that he was using also kind of slowed down and then that's when you started to see um dustin's ability to to close the distance with that lead left hand so i guess one thing i would ask you is you know, let's just say they, they do a rematch, right? I mean, this is such a high-level fight that you don't need to take anything too great from a loss in this situation. Like, it's right, you don't have to, like, change up any sort of training camp or, you know, try to revolutionize your style. But, so it's going to be small strategic changes or maybe some slight technical changes. If you being a striking coach, you know, I know you have a relationship with, with uh, Eugene Behrman, what do you think would be some, some slight adjustments? You mentioned not being in the pocket. You know, how would you do that if it's, if it's a five-round fight? Because let's be, let's be honest, if that was a three-round fight, Hooker wins that fight. But it is a five-round uh-huh. fight. So what are, some, what are some subtle changes you would try to make in terms of, all right, how do we utilize that length and, and make sure that we're not coming out too strong in those first two rounds? So what, what are some things that you would implement in the training and then from a strategic level to ensure that he can utilize his physical advantages in terms of a size perspective.
1: Yeah. I'll start off with the kind of like the, the tactical suggestions or, or takeaways that I saw from that fight, you know, um, if I, if I was coaching Dan for this fight, I think, you know, trying to get him to start maybe a little bit slower, mm. you know, and, and collect more points as opposed to trying to finish the fight in the first couple rounds, you know, and, and that's a fine line, you know, you don't want to dial the fighter too far back. Mm. Um, but knowing that you, you have the potential to go five rounds, if you can't put this guy away, um, you know, you have to be able to kind of cruise in that gear three area for a little bit and then turn it up later on if you need to, you know? Um, so that, that would be one of the suggestions I would make. Um, another one, like I talked about earlier is fighting a little bit more in the center of the cage. Um, you, you mentioned this earlier too, you know, where Dan, after he kind of abandoned the low kicks and traded it for offensive wrestling. I think I probably would have asked Dan to wrestle only if his back was the fence, against the fence to get back towards the center of the cage and do less wrestling when, when Dustin was against the fence. You know, he had some success with it, but it seemed at the end of the day a little bit more um, taxing on him especially as the fight wore on and it ended up putting him in bad positions, you know, and, and, and Dustin threatening a lot of chokes off of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I would have changed the mindset with the wrestling a little bit as well. And then in terms of when Dustin's back was against the fence, instead of getting into the pocket there, I would have really liked Dan to use his range a little bit more. We call that area the outside six between the black Mm -hmm. line and the cage and the fence. Now it would be a little bit smaller, obviously in the 25 foot cage, but the principle remains the same. If, if Dustin's back is to the fence there, I would have liked to see Dan use, which he's really good at is a lot of fakes and feints to draw big strikes out from Dustin and kind of pick them apart there instead of sitting in the pocket for an extended two or three, four strikes and, and letting Dustin trade with him and hit him there. Um, so just being a little bit more disciplined when Dustin's back was against the fence and, and fighting from a little bit longer range, um, when Dan's back was against the fence, I would like to see a little bit more using the wrestling, at least just to get back to the center of the cage there. Um, You know, but at the end of the day, um, it was, it was a tough fight. And, and, uh, you know, I even heard Eugene say he was, he was doing a good job whispering in Dan's ear. So no one could hear what they were saying. But the one thing they did pick up was you have to stay more disciplined in this fight. I I think that was between rounds three and four. Mm. Um, Man, at the end of the day, Dan just, you know, he, he, he likes to go out there and he likes to get after it and scrap. Um, and that's something that he, he, you know, he wears that badge pretty proudly, um, you know. But now we're talking about he's had two five-round wars within six months here with Paul and with Dustin. So I think some time off to, to reevaluate, you know, kind of strategy in these five-round fights um, and see how he can kind of come out on top of these, you know. And he won the last one with Paul, but, you know, that was also in his backyard, And that was a very close fight and he still took a lot of damage there. And he got tired in the later rounds as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw a very similar early going from him and a, and a very similar late finish from him too, in those later rounds. So I think that's something that they can really look at and and dissect and adjust in the next training camp. Moving forward is basically kind of his, his pace throughout five rounds and his shot selection as well. And that's something we saw from Curtis last week too. You know, he's going to learn the same lesson.
0: Yeah. and, And that's a, it's, with the wrestling, it's not even like the wrestling is somehow left taxing. And a lot of times, like, wrestling can be more grueling, you know, because he's not only expending the energy to take Dustin down, he then has to hold him down. And there was a lot of, like, fence work involved where Dustin's fighting his way up. Um, so that was, you know, it was. A, I understand that he, he probably didn't feel like he had the, the snap in his punches anymore. And you talked about the, the kind of the keeping the range um, what was what, what was that term you actually used the what would you call it the six what?
1: oh the the, the outside six which refers six. to the outside six feet yeah
0: yeah so and at the end of the second round that's when he almost finished for you and you know maybe a few more seconds he he does get the finish but you saw he still utilized his range there while keeping Dustin's back to the cage and then later on when he started uh when he started really going to the wrestling game plan, Dustin's really good there where he even when he gives up his back and then he, he walks up the cage and is able to dip his shoulder and get back square with his underhooks. And in that third round, where Dustin landed a lot of hard strikes early, uh, Hooker got the takedown and held him down for quite a bit, and then about a minute left, Poirier gets up. And as he gets up against the cage, he's able, him being the shorter fighter there almost works for his benefit because he creates just a couple inches of space, landed a hard elbow, and then a really short combination, and then separated. So, I mean, I think he got there's probably five or six times where he would Dustin would give up his back and then be able to scramble out of it. I think from a perspective of, of strategy, if they were going to fight again, is that, all right, if you want to get the takedowns, get them. But if, if Dustin gets his, get to a point where he's working himself up from the cage, then separate a little bit and give himself that space to re-strike again. Because when they're really clinched in, that almost favors the shorter fighter to be able to get off those, those inside strikes. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, with a five-round fight, you know, Poirier has been in the game longer, or at least at the UFC level, he's had more fights, has more experience. He fought for the title fight. He, you know, he won the interim title against Max Holloway. He fought Khabib, so he does have more experience. And it's like, that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's in a 25-round fight. There's so many sequences and, ex- and exchanges that you can dissect them and, and break down. They should have done this. Should have done that. But um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I think this will be good for for Hooker. And that it still ended up being a, a very close fight. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. So I don't know. Did you have any other points you, you, that stood out to you from that fight?
1: You know, no, I think just to kind of take a bird's eye view of this, we've seen a lot of these recently, these five round fights where we've had a more experienced guy on one side of the cage and we have had someone newer to five round fights on the other side of the cage. And we've seen it kind of time and time again, this was another good example of it was Dan and Dustin, right? Like you said, Dustin has the championship experience already and he knows how to go five rounds. Another one we saw uh, recently was um, Curtis and Volkov, right? Volkov kind of conceded even the early rounds with the takedown and and didn't spend a lot of energy to get up because he knew Curtis was going to get tired later on um you know Volkov couldn't put him away later you know but he definitely uh had did a much job, better job pacing himself uh we saw it in Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira we saw it also in the John Jones and Dominic Reyes fight as well where Dom hadn't fought five rounds before and he faded um in those later rounds and, and John was really only in like year two for those early rounds and then started to pick it up after that um you know so five round fights change guys uh, you know experience wise and and look it's just a different fight altogether when you add those two other rounds you know you have to train different for that you have to prepare different for that and and i think the only way to really grow from that is just to get that five round experience and go through that process you know so
0: yeah i think that's a great point and that's something that trevor whitman has talked about before is that you have to fight in spurts um and i think you know you, you saw that in this fight where it I saw. I thought, it, you know, in the second round, even the third round, I was like, "Man, Poirier's looking tired. He would get kind of off balance, kind of winging punches. You'd see him breathing heavy, and then he would kind of, kind of catch his breath, kind of, you know, relax, and then be landing shots very effectively. So, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to prepare for that any other way than than being in there. Um, but that, that's why I wanted yep. to ask you, you know, what what are some of the next steps for this division? You know, I I think most people probably agree that 155 is probably the the most difficult division uh, in terms of depth and just overall elite talent. Unfortunately, the division has been held up for various reasons. I think one of the, I, I can't remember which MMA writer it was posted. That there's been, there's been about, I think there's been four title fights, four legitimate, not the interim title fights, but the, the actual title. There's been four title fights in the last four years or so. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And we're and we're still seemingly in that same place again with, you know, Khabib, you know, had to go back to Russia with everything with the with the whole COVID situation. Now his father's sick, and then you know we have Conor McGregor looming. Is he going to be waiting for the title fight coming out? So, where does that put where does that put Poirier coming out of this fight, and where does that put Hooker even coming off a loss? I think he still probably you know probably doesn't drop his ranking or anything. But you know, what what do you what do you see the division playing out like?
1: Yeah, just looking at the rankings right now, you know, it's interesting to see Connor still in there, you know, although he said he's retired, right? We saw when Henry said he was retired, they removed him from the rankings pretty quickly, you know, and Connor said it right after him and, and he's still in there, you know? So that's something to take note of. Um, and obviously Connor's retired more times than Henry has so far. So uh, we just gonna have to have an asterisk by his name. Um, I think Dustin versus Tony makes the most sense, you know, later this year when they both get healed up. Um, I would really like to see that fight. That's a, that's an excellent matchup. In terms of uh Dan, you know, he's already fought. He beat Paul Felder this year already, who's also retired now, you know. Um, behind him is Charles Oliveira, Kevin Lee, Ally Aquinta, um, all at eight nine and seven, eight, nine, and then Diego Fajaya behind him. Um, you know, I don't know. I think any of those match- matchups would be a good option. Um, you got Donald Cerrone still at eleven there, you know. Um I, that could be an exciting fight too, a little bit more of a showcase fight, and and that obviously would probably end up being a good highlight reel for for Hooker, um, you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough division. Where where do you think you see Dan going next? What do you think is a good option for him?
0: Yeah, I'm certainly uh, in agreement that he probably should take some time down between between the last two five round fights, and then the, and I know this was a little bit further away, but the Barbosa fight. he's certainly he's taken a lot of damage, and you don't want to take great chin. For for granted, you know, it goes when it goes, and you never know until it's too late. So, uh, he's taken a tremendous amount of damage in those fights. I think it's best he, you know, he 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 takes some time off, and maybe that you know let the division kind of figure itself out for a little bit because there's not an immediate fight that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, let uh let that title hopefully that title fight between Khabib and and um, and Gatesy plays out in September, and then we will see what they do if, if they do decide Poirier and Ferguson maybe towards the end of the year maybe he tries it and then and then if they do the in you know, the winner of Khabib and Gaethje versus Connor in December and then you have Poirier and Ferguson in December and then you know look for look for uh, Hooker to get on that card as well and I don't I don't think there's a really a, a, a one opponent in mind who makes the most sense um, I'm trying to think just from yeah I think the the, the Cerrone one it certainly wouldn't be the most like it wouldn't make the most sense from a merit-based standpoint, but it would be, it'd be it would further Hooker's name value, despite him losing here. I just put this put his name on a lot of people's radars, um, so whatever mm-hmm. Cerrone would would further that. But it's uh yeah, I mean I think yeah I think him taking some time off and then letting the vision unfold would, would, would probably be best.
1: Yeah. Wow. And just looking at uh, while I'm on the UFC page right now. This is just a. A side note here, I'm looking at the Bantamweight rankings. Um, Champion is vacant. Obviously, Marlon Marais, number one, Aljo, number two, Pietro yan number three. And now we have two tied for four, Corey Sanhagen and Cody Garbrandt. Cody moved up as
0: well. Uh, they came out with a new rank because I didn't see that. Okay. Yep. Well, so so then, uh, oh. I mean, switching gear. I, w- I don't want to go off too far because I did want to circle back to that division, but uh, – with that, like, what do you, what do you, would you see Corey fighting next?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, I, I think he has to do the same thing here. Um, I think he's got to wait for the next couple weeks and see how this title fight plays out um, and and kind of go from there. But, you know, we have Marlon Rice without a mm-hmm. fight right now. Uh, Aljo fresh off his win, and I think he wants to get back. Well, he's going to get the title yeah. shot uh, after this, and then – we have Cody off a knockout win ready to go to uh, Pedro Munoz at seven. So Pedro uh, and I believe he's, he's booked, right? Is he he's fighting, fighting Jimmy he's Rivera? Fighting Edgar. He's fighting Frank Edgar. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think Cody's or, sorry. Corey's another case where he might have to wait a little bit and see what happens with the division, um, which I think he's okay to do. Yeah. yeah.
0: But like I said, so I want to, I want to make one more point about the the one fifty pound division. Um, you know, when you talk about like next fights, people are like, "Oh, there's no point in making the the Khabib uh, Poirier fight ever again." That was such a dominant performance. But one thing I took away from that was, uh, you know, we, we kept seeing that position where where I mentioned earlier, where Walker would get the takedown, Poirier would kind of give up his back, and eventually work his way back to his feet, get the underhook, circle off, and uh, the reminded me of uh, the fight. That reminded me of the fight with Khabib, and a couple things stood out from that because. After that fight, Mike Brown talked about, I believe it was after the fight, Mike Brown talked about how that's one of Dustin's best positions. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's a you know 30 plus professional fight veteran, you know, over 20 fights in the UFC, high-level fighter, right? They talked about going into that fight with Khabib. you know, they spent eight, ten weeks game planning for everything Khabib does. They brought in world-class wrestlers, world-class jiu-jitsu guys. In general, throughout Dustin's career, he's able to have guys get on his back, hold him down, he's able to get up, use that same kind of shoulder dip, get the underhook, get out. In that fight against Khabib, he gets there, Khabib completely shuts it down, just stifles him. So one of them is like, man, that just shows how different level Khabib is. Like his strength, his control, his positioning, his understanding of the cage work in MMA, his wrestling and his, his jiu-jitsu ability. Um, but also... Just the fact that Dustin in that fight, when I think it was going into the third round, Dustin back with his corners like, man, I can't get this guy off of me. And you could just see the frustration and the kind of the, the discouraged mindset that he went into, right? And even though he had that five-round fight with with Max Holloway before, where it was a great battle, you know, when he got into this moment, he, here's a guy who we know is, has supreme elite mental toughness, right? Great confidence, great fighter. He got into his A-game position where he's always able to get out of it. And he went against a guy who just shut it down. And you saw that kind of dejected state start to spiral. And then he got finished, you know, within two minutes uh, in the third round, or a little over two minutes. So, to me, it's like now this fight here, he lost two, the first two rounds, at least in my opinion. So, maybe, you know, the, ne- uh-huh. the next time they fight, one, there's one thing we talked about the experience. You can simulate it as much as you want in training. You can fight tough guys. But until you face that champion level fighter and feel it in that fight firsthand, there's nothing that can simulate that. So it's like, all right, because the biggest thing to me was like that was a five round fight, and after two rounds, Dustin kind of got discouraged and lost that of the bigger picture, right? Okay, it's a five round fight. Mm-hmm. I get to start of my feet every so if you get, you can lose a couple rounds just like you did in this Hooker fight, and, but you still have a chance, you know, to, to hurt to hurt uh, Khabib. And so I would like to be—I would be interested in that if they ever ever fought again. But more importantly, when I think about the Gaethje fight with uh, Khabib, who know, I don't know—you know—I'd be interested in how the wrestling battle would go, whether he can take Gaethje down. But I believe he could probably hold Gaethje down. I know Gaethje's a great athlete and a great scrambler, a great wrestler, but I could see him holding him down. But if the the key for me with Gaethje, or Poirier, if he fights him again, but specifically with Gaethje since he's getting next fight is like. To keep in mind that it is a five-round fight and not get discouraged, right? You're gonna maybe give up a couple rounds, but that, all right, I got the I got the five rounds to do it. So I think there's something to be said for experience, and I and I think uh, you know the fighters learn a lot in those five rounds. So yep. when we think about that Gaethje Khabib fight, what do you see? What do you see taking place there?
1: Yeah, I I think that's a great point that you brought up, you know, like in in these five round fights, it's, it it can be easy as the fighter who's, who's uh, on the losing side to, to uh, kind of lose sight of the bigger picture and and feel overwhelmed. Um, I I think you really have to, you know, in the corner, at least in my mind, you really have to take this just round by round as it unfolds, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and kind of let, let the last couple of rounds go and focus only on what's in front of you at the moment. Um, But the fight with Justin and and Habib, you know, you know, everyone's talked about it already. Everyone has discussed every possible scenario. Look, there's no there's no tricks with Habib. We know exactly what we're getting with him. Right. We know where he does best with his wrestling. We know what he does when he takes people down. You know, it's only a matter of, okay, what what can Justin do maybe a little bit differently to prevent that or, or to stall it a little bit? You know your best bet is to fight him in the open mm. and not get anywhere near the cage that he can drive you to um I think in the middle, Justin has probably the best ability to scramble with Habib than and, and than anyone else that Habib has fought so far and and the big x factor for that Justin has obviously is his finishing power. Mm. you know I think he will be the most dangerous striker that um Habib has fought so far I think um also. Justin's footwork and where he places himself in front of Habib that makes him adjust to take his shot um, to run into some trouble is also going to be a big factor. You know, we all know Trevor is a giant footwork guy and he makes sure he puts his fighters in the right position before they attack or to attack. Right. Um, I think we could see a similar case here where he's going to make sure Justin is in a, a good position to either make, habib overreach for a shot or or take it not the way that he wants to take it and leave him a little bit exposed to to take some damage and you know justin doesn't need a big window for that to to hurt anyone um so i think the footwork is going to be a big part of this fight and just allowing justin to find the windows um to to hurt habib on the feet
0: yeah definitely i think justin has you know justin more than anyone else has the 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 necessary skill set with it with the footwork we we especially saw that the last fight with Ferguson where he kind of took the center of the octagon didn't get over aggressive and didn't retreat really right you know a couple small steps here and there backwards to try to you know create some space for zone openings but nothing over the top I think sometimes when you when you face a wrestler the worst thing you can do is focus on defending their wrestling too much but it becomes a thin line right I want to keep my offense going but I don't want to over commit um, but I one of the things I think with with Khabib is I've seen him, you know, where he he, de- he definitely could be hurt. Uh, we saw the Michael Johnson one where he he stung him with some left hands. He just didn't have the ability to to keep him off him, you know. Even in that Dustin fight, I can't remember if it was the first or second round, but he hurt him with a left hand, and then he seemed to get a little too overzealous, and then and then got taken down. Um, but we've seen Khabib kind of take some recovery rounds, you know. I think in that Connor fight. Yep. He seemed to use the third round as, mm-hmm. as a recovery round, and it was mostly just a striking uh, battle in that round. And then in the fourth round, he came out and mauled him uh, in, those, in that fight with that ally, Quinta. Uh He seemed to kind of use the later rounds almost as like a way to just work on a striking, once he knew he had the fight in the bag. But he also just seemed to fatigue a little bit, and it was probably less taxing to try to, than trying to keep taking him down or holding him down. So I think if, if Justin, again, to go back to the idea of how, how – uh, to your advantage and not getting discouraged the way that uh, Dustin did. If you take a third or a fourth round off against Gaethje, I think that's a really dangerous thing to do. Uh, so that's what I'm right. really interested in. You know, Of course, Dustin has the ability to finish anyone in the first round, but even if he gives up a couple rounds, I'm interested sure to see what happens in the third, the fourth, the fifth round. If Khabib starts to fatigue a little bit, the, the takedowns become much more difficult And Justin stays disciplined, stays composed, and now understands that these rounds are his rounds, um, you know, how that would play out. So that's, uh, you know, that's what I'm excited to see how that plays out.
1: Looking forward to that one for sure.
0: The other thing that I wanted to talk about was just, uh, you know, some of that cornering. it It feels like these fights without crowds have been kind of like a social experiment in terms of evaluating the cornering advice both um, in between rounds, and then also you can hear it, you know, so easily during the rounds, interactions. I mean, there was a one point where Dustin asked how much time was left. Um, Both fighters can hear the other fighters' uh, feedback. I know that in the the Mike Perry uh, interview, he was talking about how he could hear Mickey Gall's quarterman using the kind of the codes, and by the third round, he was picking up on what those codes meant. So this has kind of been a fun uh, idea to – to just watch and see what, see what the, how the cornering is. Cause you know, when you're caught up and usually in a great fight, you're not really thinking too much about the cornering. Uh, but this is right. Shine the light on it. The big one, of course, this, this fight was Mike Perry uh, having his girlfriend corner him uh, with no one else. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of a joke in the lead up to it and even afterwards people kind of making, making jokes of it. And it is, it is funny, but uh, you know, what, is there any takeaways from that? You know, I know for people like, Oh, he came out and won and he looked dominant. Like maybe they don't need the coaching. Like, did you, do you think we learned anything from that?
1: Yeah. I mean, look in my eyes, Mike Perry is the kind of guy who hates structure. You know, (laughs) he hates uh, anyone telling him what to do. And I think, when you hear his his interviews after the fight, that's what coaching feels like to him is people telling him what to do instead of people being there to support him. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to take a special kind of coach who who is there to help him, but and just kind of guide him, but not tell him what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he also, he said he was open to finding a team. He was open to finding some people to help him, you know, um, but he doesn't want someone who's telling him to do this and that for, for, multiple interviews that I've heard with him, he's very insistent on, um, you know, he is the one in the fight. He is the athlete. Um, athletes do not listen to the coach because the athlete is the one in the fight, not the coach. You know, it sounds like he wants someone who really has genuine MMA experience, mm-hmm. um, and who's been there and who has battle tested and not someone just talking about what they think they know, you know, which is, is, which is totally fair and reasonable. Um, Thankfully in South Florida, he's got a bunch of options for that, you know, Dean Thomas, Mike Brown. um, There's a bunch of guys down there who could offer him that, you know, but what I think is he just needs a, someone who is a coach, but also a friend to help guide him a little bit. You know Um, he's just very, you know, we saw it before, right. He, he went to Jackson's for a camp um, when he fought Cowboy you know, and I think that's probably the opposite of what he needed there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't know if the the results were indicative of that training camp or not, you know, but that in my mind is what it sounds like he needs to me. Um, Because yes, he's, he's talented and he has raw aggression. You know, if if he kept his girlfriend only in the corner for the remainder of his fights, I don't see him going anywhere in the sport other than where he is now, you know, like in my mind, anyways, that was a, a very strange matchup between him and and Mickey Gall. you know, Mickey has not fought anyone of note. um, And that's kind of exactly how we expected that fight to play out. But if he wants any sort of run at the title, like he is talking about, he's going to need to get some uh, higher minds around him for sure. So,
0: yeah. I mean, especially with MMA, maybe even more so than than a lot of other sports, there's a credibility, credibility factor with, with, uh, with coaching. Where guys feel like, you know, I need someone who, who, who have you know, fought at a high level themselves. And i do not if sure that's always necessary, um, but part of coaching is also managing a personality, um, you know, and, and yep. to me it's like, yeah, maybe he, you know, we have the Jacksons. That's, that's more of a super gym, you know, even though they have great coaches, Greg Jackson's, a, I think, a, a very strong coach in terms of understanding the mentality. Uh, you know, maybe he just didn't have the one-on-one aspect that he needs. So that's probably what he needs just a little bit more personalized attention, um, someone who can, you know, he's a wild personality, someone, someone who can tap into that, um, and, and manage that personality, motivate him in, in the, in the way that resonates with him. But yeah, I mean, with, with the, with the coaching, I mean, especially at the UFC level with, with, you know, the cut man doing the work, wrapping the hands in the back, you know, if you go out and you're just a better fighter, like you don't, you don't need anyone necessarily, right? You just go out and you beat the person up. You know, Mike, Mike Perry's yeah. a brawler. Mike Perry's a brawler. He's not, uh, you know, he knows how to fight. He knows how to punch people and take punches and, and be fine with that. The, the point where coaching seems to really matter, you know, prior, you know, aside from obviously coaching to me, the mo- most important part is in your preparation, but then uh, with a fight is, is when it's you're evenly matched with someone or mm-hmm. or you're losing and then you need to adapt on the fly. And that's like, you know, where we see it with the highest level of the sport. We have these coaches giving these guys just little subtle adjustments or, or bringing their mental state back to a place. And I thought that was a nice job of, of even in dustin's fight where it's going into the fifth round the coach just said like hey like hey you having fun yeah and that, and that seems like a very small thing but i even mentioned how dustin got discouraged and that could be a fight and so it was just sort of a little small thing to bring him back to the place of like hey like right you're you're pro- he's probably tired he's probably hurt it's easy to spiral into that mindset like oh my god i'm so tired i got five more minutes left this is right to be like hey this is the fun this is what you chose to do let's 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 finish stronger you get yourself back in that positive place but yeah i mean i think mike mike perry had a he's mickey gall's not a very good fighter at at this level in my opinion um but yeah i mean for mike perry to actually like talk about running you know going for a title fight or anything like that like yeah you would need better coaches one to improve his technical skills he's not at an elite level um and then two when no matter how good you get you're gonna face other guys who are Equally as good, or or, you know, better a little bit, and then you got to make the technical adjustments in the game planning leading up to the fight, and then during the fight, and that's where you would need, you know, good coaches to help with that, both from a technical adjustment and also just you know changing the mindset up if necessary. So,
1: yeah, but one hundred percent, yeah. You know, uh, an an interesting point that I saw on Twitter last night from John Kavanaugh was that you know he said having his girlfriend in the corner. Possibly could have been much more calming than having coaches there. You know, that's a voice that he obviously responds very well to and is familiar yeah. with. And her, her telling him he's doing a great job, it, you know, calms him down and, and gets him in a positive mental state, you know. So, yeah. And, and yeah and I mean, I, I guess there are several silver linings to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I saw that too. But again, I, I, you know, and I do think half, half of the, the result of a good corner man is making, is, is giving the fighter that comfort level, you know, feeling mm-hmm. that connection. In the back, warming up, going into the fight, you know, hearing that voice during between, you know, during the rounds, in between rounds. But again, that works to have your girlfriend or someone who, like if it could be your dad. You know, we seem to have their brothers. That they're not the main corner man, so that's great if you if you go in and steamroll the guy, that's great. <laughs> but when it, right, if you, if yeah, have, it's easy then. Yeah, if you're losing the fight, to someone just say you're doing great? Doesn't doesn't help. So. Um, yeah, yep. I'd be interested to see where he actually, where he actually goes to train. Um, but yeah, the only other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, was just, I don't know if you saw this basically where the, uh, the fighter rankings, um, the, the you know, there's a voting panel, uh, who sets the rankings. And we just talked about some of those, some of the changes that happen there, but there's a third party company that gives the voting panel suggestions prior to a fight. So the, the the one that kind of got the recent attention uh, was the Josh Emmett fight versus Shane Burgos. Josh Emmett was ranked eighth, Shane Burgos was ranked tenth, and in this in the suggestions they basically said if either fighter loses, they should drop four plus spots. So and then that's mm-hmm. what happened, which didn't make any sense to me. Josh Emmett wins the fight, doesn't move at all. I think Frank Edgar still ranked ahead of him, and Frank Edgar's now at one thirty five, uh, and then Shane Burgos. It was a great fight. Shane Burgos dropped back to 14th. So, uh, you know, it just seems to me like a very strange dynamic there. Um, So I I was going to ask you just just your initial thoughts on that and then kind of get into a perspective of you being a coach of athletes of how that might affect things.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of confirms what we've all been feeling about the rankings and that it's more of a popularity contest than uh, any sort of merit-based system. Um, especially how they're trying to shift people around in the rankings, moving plus one or plus three if they win, moving minus four or five if they lose and making way for other people to to slide up in the rankings that, that the UFC is really pushing and putting dollars behind. Um, So am I surprised by it? Not at all. Um Am I disappointed? Kind of, you know, like, you know, what is the point of a ranking system if that's what it's going to be? You know, it's not even being used for its correct purpose. So um yeah, in my mind it's it's just confirming that it's a popular popularity contest, you know. What, what what are your thoughts on it? Well yeah I mean,
0: you, you saw the guy they think- mentioned in both of those suggestions was Bryce Mitchell. So I mean who's a good fighter and I, I think he's a really bright prospect. Uh, I don't think you need to I don't think you need to make suggestions that break Bryce Mitchell Mitchell should be ranked. I mean I think it's going to take care of itself. But then that mm-hmm. you want now that that comes to light that they're doing that it's so obviously like a manipulation to to use to use the ranking as a marketing tool to push guys they want to use it just creates like a an unnecessary uh, distraction of like man like this is kind of like what like you've always seen like boxing has always had the corrupt kind of tagline associated with it right and so you want to try to avoid that mm-hmm. because it ruins it undermines the credibility of the sport when you have those things. And I know most UFC fans are loyal and won't really care too much, but it's not something that happens all at once, but it slowly over time has an effect. And so that's why I hate seeing that sort of stuff because it's like, all right, yeah, we know the UFC wants to push Bryce Mitchell. He's got a good personality. He's got a strong social media presence. He's a really good fighter. Just let that happen on its own. Um, so that, that's what kind of bugs me because it's like, you, you know, the UFC uses the rankings when it's convenient for them. And then they disregard it when it's not. I even saw where, some of the managers have said during negotiations, they'll bring up a fighter's ranking and the UFC, but like, that doesn't matter. And then at times, you know, unless, and, and then if a the fighter isn't ranked high, then the UFC will use that negotiation. So uh, it's kind of the same way they do it with the interim titles. You know, they'll use that to, to kind of they'll throw, they'll slap on an interim title to kind of promote a UFC event. And then they've stripped guys of interim title. So it's like, don't do it th- It just undermines the credibility as a, a legitimate sport when you do things like that so that's that's what it bothers me but i guess the thing i wanted to ask you about it from a coaching perspective because you see a guy a lot of guys will be hesitant to take fights if there's a guy lower rank than them and then they're even willing you know in curtis's case he like uh you know he's he's one that pops up because he just fought and he's you know he battled a little bit with dana he's a guy now who's ranked in the top i think he's the third ranked heavyweight maybe uh you know now he's in a position where Francis Ngannou, there's a title fight with Stipe and Cormier. Uh, Francis Ngannou's next in line, and then Curtis would be after that, technically based on the rankings. But if the UFC has no consistency with rankings, like how do you how do you determine? Like, all right, are we going to try to leverage this ranking, or are we going to take a fight if it, if there's a four, number four, or number five guy available, or do we take a you know we just take a fight just to take up to stay active? Like, how does that? How does that factor into the strategy of you know, not necessarily saying that you're you're working with Corey or Curtis in that sense, but like just overall, if you have a fighter, like are you taking that into consideration when setting a game plan over the next year or so?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's kind of case by case basis. You know, um, Curtis is a great example of this, though. You know, he in in his mind, he's cleared out the majority of the di- the division. He's earned his spot where he is and he doesn't want to fight anyone behind him now, you know, in, in my opinion and in other people's opinion, like, you know, he, he has just how you described the landscape in the heavyweight division. There's a couple more fights before he gets to the title anyways. And if you were to wait for that, it would be a long time and someone might pass you up, you know? Yeah. So in reality, it's like, okay, well you, you could wait and this is what that may look like or You could take a fight with someone who technically has a a lower number next to their name than you do, right? But you're also gaining more experience. You're the youngest guy in the top 10 in the division, right? You just felt what five rounds feels like and you didn't enjoy it. So the next fight that you get that's a main event, you can practice getting more experience in that five round setting. And it's only going to help strengthen your case when the title shot does come. You know, Um, I know these guys are anxious to get to the title and, and fight the guys ahead of them but experience at the end of the day is such a big factor in if we're playing the long game, right. And we want to become champion and stay champion, then all of this experience is extremely important, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: And that's why, you know, I, I, you know, I've come from the wrestling world where I'm of the belief that competition is beneficial. And of course it's a little different in, in uh, you know, MMA where, you know, the end result could be way much more dangerous and so you can't compete at the same volume, but yeah, exactly. As you said, like Curtis is someone who, great fighter first five round fight clearly got tired in the fourth and fifth rounds let's just say uh-huh. let's just say the UFC loved him and was totally okay with him waiting like would that really be beneficial for Curtis to wait a year for his title fight and then he gets a second title fight right like to me it'd be now he'd have all that time off and then take a title fight where he didn't really get any opportunity to to improve on that conditioning factor so it's like yeah, I think uh you know I, I'm of the opinion I'm almost of like disregarding the rankings and not using that to, to to determine like what your strategy will be. You know, you don't want to necessarily fight anyone, but fight someone who, you know, you believe you can still beat, keeps you relevant, gets you money, allow that money to invest in your career, gain that experience and be in a position when, when that opportunity arises for the title fight.
1: Yeah, and the you know, someone on our team who I think does a great job of that is Drew Dober, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, he's always been consistently like, yeah, you know, look, I'm I'm fighting these guys to gain the experience. I'll fight whoever's in front of me um or around me, you know. Um, and as long as I keep beating these guys and keep winning, everything else will take care of itself. And yeah. of course now he's he's in the rankings, he's gained valuable experience in these last couple of fights, and now we're starting to see it in his performances against these. Mm-hmm. These ranked guys, you know, so um, obviously he's just, a, you know, cracked the top 15 and there's a lot of big names in front of him, but he's gained the experience before that necessary to stand with these guys now that are in the top 15. So I think he's a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. He's,
0: and you, yeah, he's always been a, a talented fighter, but you just seen it all come together. And that only happens through competing because the other part of the competing is that you're staying active in training right? Where you're, right. you're constantly staying in shape, you're staying sharp, you're developing new skills along the way, you're gaining your confidence, the more you win, the more you compete, figure out your style against high levels. So yeah, that, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a thing to keep in mind because you constantly see guys talking about not wanting to fight guys below them. But I mean, <laughs> unless you're the, unless you're like the fighting for the title, like you're one guy in the fight's always going to have to fight someone ranked lower. So, uh, yep. you know, but, um,
1: so, yeah,
0: I guess just looking forward now, we got – is, is the next fight the July 11th one with all the, the big title fights? Is that our next card?
1: Yeah, we have a week off, um, and then and then we get into uh, the Abu Dhabi series here. We will go July 11th, July 15th, July 18th, and then July 25th. So we got four cards in uh, – five weeks or whatever it is out there in Abu Dhabi.
0: Yeah, where we've been on quite a run. It's funny to have a weekend off now because I feel like there's been a fight every every single weekend. But And you have a fighter on the Abu Dhabi. Are you going to be out there? or is it? No,
1: I'm not allowed in that country anymore. Oh, yeah, uh, you I've got banned. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, her, her, her fight got moved to August uh, 22nd. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so you
0: have more time to
1: prepare. There, Vegas. Time. Yeah, I do not. That's uh, LFA sure. is all of July. In in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, so I'll be spending some time out there. You it's very it? similar to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, um, yeah, we have. We, <laughs> yeah, it's it's beautiful. <laughs> they call it, a lot of people have called it the Abu Dhabi of the Midwest yeah, for a long time. It is. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so we we are going to have, I believe, three or four fighters um, on LFA. Boyan, obviously, you know, i I've, I've worked with him for I think this is our sixteenth fight together, mm-hmm. actually um matt jones featherweight uh justin wetzel is a bantamweight of ours uh fighting july 17th for them zach palga uh i think he's making his pro debut with them and i think we have one more so i coach personally matt jones boy on and uh i think there's one more we we're trying to get on there and then i also have uh bellator july 24th out your way in california who's on, who's on that card a newcomer to our team, Taiwan Claxton. Ah, um, thought, yeah. You know that name? Of course. He's a feather. He would punish you. Oh, well, that's because
0: I'm, you. I'm uh, John Volante's size right now. He looks <laughs> in that fight.
1: <laughs> I would actually like to do another podcast next week. Just talking about how much he would ragdoll you, <laughs> but, uh, he's, he's actually, uh, he's Banks's good friend. I believe okay. they wrestled together. Um, Really good fighter, really good wrestler. He's six and two. Hmm. All of his pro fights have been in Bellator, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, that's right. I've seen um, him
0: fight. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, he was in the uh he was in the featherweight grand prix tournament. Um you know, he's he's super talented. He's a lefty. He also codes for uh Google, I oh, think wow. that's his day job. Wow. You know, but he can work remote, so he can kind of do that whenever. So it works exactly. out really nicely for fighting. But he just bought a Uh, a condo out here in Denver and and kind of planted his roots. So he's going to be joining the team and, uh, kicking things off next month again. So he's, he's got a contract signed for July 24th. And then you guys got some,
0: some guys fighting in the, uh, contender series as well, right?
1: Yeah. So we go right into that. August 4th is Ty Flores, uh, on contender series. He's a light heavyweight. He's fighting Dustin Jacoby, obviously Mm. who is a UFC vet and glory kickboxing vet. um, the week after that, August 11th, we have Nate Smith, uh, who's a 6-0 and flyweight. Um, he's he's on contender as well. And then we move into the ladies. We have Shauna Dobson, August 22nd, uh, for UFC, not for contender series. We have Mallory Martin, August 29th, uh, in Vegas as well. And then after that, it's going to be Gaethje, Dover, and Alistair all in September. Does, so. Ga-
0: does Dover have a uh, date booked yet?
1: No, he's pushing for September though. I think he's trying to get on the same card as Gaethje.
0: But so none of them have a, have a, a date booked yet. Right? I mean that's tentatively scheduled.
1: No one has a specific date in September, but September is what right, sounds right. like gotcha. it's going to happen. Yep. So,
0: so a bit busy few months then, but uh yeah, we'll get back together uh maybe maybe before, yeah. maybe before. I'd like to talk about the fights on the July July, July 11th card since there's three title fights and maybe uh, give our predictions on what we think will happen there and then um, maybe do a, a breakdown afterwards on what happened. But um, yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll touch base with you guys in a couple of weeks, take a little break from MMA and then we're going to come back for about three months straight of action. But all right, Sean, I'll let you go. Thanks for joining.
1: Sounds good. I'll talk to you later.